Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. This is Mind Your Banners for uh, the first day of the last month of 2022. Boy, they sneak up on you. Uh, and the older you get, the, the the quieter they get as they do. Uh, Indiana last night, 77, North Carolina, 65. Um, with me, Tyler Tackman. Tyler, we did a, a video last night, you know, kind of breaking down some of this. We'll go more in-depth here. There are always contextualizing factors here. We talked about some of them in North Carolina. We talked about some of them before the game. North Carolina was going to be tired. North Carolina obviously has not been maybe, you know, certainly has not lived up to their preseason number one ranking, which is why they're not number one anymore. Um, but it is, to be fair, I think, to, to Mike Woodson and some of what he said last night, this is still a team that went to the national championship game a year ago. It's a team that's not foreign to environments like the one that it played in last night. It's a team of guys that understand what the sort of ambition and the success at the highest level of the sport takes. And for all those reasons, I think Indiana still felt, even after the Heels weekend in Portland, like last night was kind of a proving ground. And to win the way they did, where really it, you know, I think that the 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 most common sort of theme that it seemed like people were picking on Twitter was that it was a 10-point game that felt all night like a 20-point game. It never really felt like North Carolina had any chance to win. Um, it was controlling. It was very sort of measured. Indiana dictated the the terms of the game, the pace of the game. They dominated North Carolina in the paint. Um, and if not for a just to be diplomatic about it, a an unusually friendly whistle for the road team, uh, this could easily have been 20 points or more. And then we would rightly be talking about how impressively dominant Indiana was. It was a very good night for the Hoosiers. Yeah, and to your point about North Carolina, um, even though they had been struggling, like this was the majority of a group that had went into Cameron Indoor and spoiled Coach K's final home game. Um, th- this was also a team that, as an eight seed, went to the national championship game and um, and and then beat Coach K in the final four um, to to end his coaching career. So, um, you know, it was, it was most of that team back. If there was something I felt like Carolina could kind of hang their hat on um, coming out of Portland is that they had been in these big moments. They had kind of dealt with the ups and downs. Uh, they had played in these big games. And I, I think Indiana – as much as Carolina looked off and tired, Indiana made them look off and tired as well. I, I think it was in part to their defense. They they made Caleb Love and R.J. Davis uh, really frustrated. Um, Trace Jackson Davis dominated that matchup with Armando Baycott, and I understand that both may have been, been snake-bitten to a certain extent, but if you're looking at both guys, being a bit injured, then I feel like it's sort of a wash. And, and Trace Jackson Davis pretty handily, I felt like, uh, dominated that matchup. And um, and I, I know we've talked a lot about the bench so far this season. And it wasn't one of those nights where 
as a collective group, Indiana's bench was dominating, but it was one of those nights where someone from Indiana's bench provides a spark. And I, I think that's really where you can look at the upside of, of Indiana's bench is that if it's not all, if it's not four guys bringing a boost, there's going to be one guy that's going to really kind of uh, provide that. And that was Trey Galloway first game back um, after uh, he, he was injured against Xavier. Um, he had missed the last few games. And um, I think I mentioned this after the game, but to me it was kind of reminiscent of what he did against Ohio State in Assembly Hall last season. He was coming off the wrist injury then. He was out for a much longer period of time. But um, he just does these little things well. You know, he plays defense. He, uh, you know, makes, makes really good passes, makes smart plays, gives Indiana another ball handler. He just has beyond what kind of goes into the stat sheet. He, he kind of has these intangible things that he does on the court that um, I think really became apparent last night. I think we start with with where, and, and I brought this up on the, the postgame video, if, if we start with where Indiana felt like maybe it struggled a little bit, I, I did think Indiana was playing the occasion a little bit more than the game early. I think Indiana wanted the environment that it got. I think it wanted the stage that it got. I think that it wanted, you know, just kind of to have this moment. Not I, I, Nobody was like, I mean, listen, you know, there's all there's there's always going to be and these these precede you but you know in, in 2012 when Indiana was number one in the country they made these t-shirts that said we're back um and they kind of became infamous because of course Indiana didn't go to the final four that year and then really kind of receded after that um but you know I, I don't think any anybody was declaring Indiana back last night but I think what they wanted was to feel like assembly hall was embracing the idea that this season, has the potential to be different than, than any Indiana has played in, in quite some time, maybe 10 years. And they got all that. And, you know, we saw all the pageantry around it. ESPN was in town, you know, kids camping out overnight. And I mean that, you know, there were, there were literal celebrities in the building last night. Eric church was sitting behind the North Carolina bench, Scott Rowland, a bunch of former basketball players, including a lot of recent former players, James Blackman, Christian Watford, Cody Zeller, Jared Jeffries, all that. And it felt like Indiana maybe was trying to force that atmosphere to become feral um, a little bit early. But I think what's to Indiana's credit, and you referenced Indiana really just kind of grinding North Carolina down, even as they were struggling and even as they were getting whistled for fouls. And I don't really want to have a conversation about whether the fouls were legitimate or not. Like that's, you know, that, that stuff can just turn tribal really fast and subjective really fast. Even as they were getting whistled for fouls, they did not stop defending in the way that they decided they were going to defend, which was they were just going to get up into everybody. They were going to blow up every ball screen. They were going to, you know, hands on every drive. Like, and if and, and their attitude was almost like, hey, if you're going to call these fouls, that's fine because we got nine, maybe even ten guys on the bench. We got ten fouls on the bench in the post. We'll live with it. You know, we'll, we'll make this work. Um, they did not let you know, maybe some early sluggishness offensively. I don't even know if it's sluggishness. I think they were just rushing. Let it some early rushing offensively affect them, particularly defensively. They didn't let the officiating affect them defensively. And I thought that as they started to really kind of put their stamp on the game, maybe 10, 11 minutes in, it was because they were defending at a level that you felt like North Carolina, whether it was the fatigue, whether there's something flawed about this North Carolina team, whether it's simply because Indiana was better last night, it's probably a little bit of all three, you could almost tangibly feel like North Carolina was like, what are we supposed to do with this? They, they just, they just keep coming at us no matter what happens. 
And I think last night too was just a really good example of you seeing how well Jalen Hood, Shafino, and, Z- and Xavier Johnson playing playing together, and and just the benefit that it can have to have two poised ball handlers, um, you know, you know, who are able to uh, command the the floor when needed. And and you know, there were a few times when North Carolina um, went to a full court press and. You know, I can remember one time where Indiana had trouble getting it across, but um, just to be able to have those two guys to to help bring it up, to to break a press like that more easily, because I, I I can remember times, you know, it seemed like the last few seasons where um, that was a little bit of a struggle, and um, just to have those two guys and, and Z- Xavier Johnson, I think, is playing, uh, you know like one of the best point guards in the big 10, if, if not the nation, you know, he got off to a little bit of a slow start this season, but now I think he's playing even better than he did toward the end of last season. And I think that was kind of one of the questions coming in for him is, is he going to be able to be the guy that really helped carry Indiana toward the end of last season? I think the answer has been yes. And it has possibly been that he's playing better than he did toward the end of last season. Um, so I you know I think that's encouraging, and, and the fact that his best game of the season came on the road against Xavier. You're looking at a veteran guy who, how is he going to respond in a in a harsh atmosphere? And, and so far, that first test he has passed. And and I, I mentioned this last night too, and I feel like this kind of just speaks to his growth. That the, is that there was about there was two times I think towards the end of the game where um, you know he he was kind of running up the court and he could have went for a layup or um, passed it and um, with still a lot of time on the shot clock. Instead, he pulled it back, knowing that he had the clock on his side, um, knowing that Carolina had its backs pinned to the wall in terms of what it was able to do and and that they would have to foul. And I feel like that those two plays were about as mature and, and about as positive a sign as everything else he did, just knowing that you have your veteran point guard that, you know, had struggled in terms of kind of walking that line between aggressiveness and using his speed. And you see him make those decisions. Those are, those are really small plays, but those are the plays that are needed in late games like that. And when you're talking about trying to close out games, man, those, those were just really savvy plays. um, the, The ones that you need him to make. I lost the mute button. I said this last night, and and for anyone who's not read it, um, Wilson Moore, our our reporting colleague, wrote a really good story um, just about kind of the game that Xavier Johnson and Jalen Hutchefino had. And I think you you gave some of the numbers there, but just to give like the the full picture between the two of them, thirty four points on ten of sixteen shooting. Uh, Huchifino made two threes uh, out of three tries. Xavier Johnson was 0 of 3, but he made eight of his 10 free throws. Between them, they had 16 rebounds, six assists, six turnovers, and uh, three steals. They only committed five fouls between them on a night when that was meaningful because Indiana got in some foul trouble. Although these foul numbers are not right uh, because they've only got Indiana with 21 fouls when they definitely had more than that. But I'm looking at Ken Palm's box score. And between them, they played 88 minutes. Um, we asked all offseason, how's this going to work? 
you know, that 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 was one of the, the key sort of questions was Indiana has a lot of, you know, we bought into Indiana as the Big Ten favorite, as the highest ranked Big Ten team in the preseason because Indiana had all of this returning talent. They were proven, they were experienced. But even through all that, we said Indiana is going to have some some pretty substantial questions to answer. Primarily, how do they put all this together? And how do they adapt in some promising freshmen when you've got like a Malik Renew, but you've got guys clearly ahead of him? When you've got a Jalen Hutchifino, who's a top, you know, 35 star or at least borderline five star point guard prospect, but you've already got a point guard there that just finished with one of the top five single season assist totals in program history. And that's not a small thing, obviously, at a place like Indiana. How do you fit them together? And it's never just about those two players. And I think we've seen basically, you know, Mike Woodson's a big part of his solution has essentially been kind of, he built a a starting five and a bench, but it's really more of like a starting four and a bench four. And those two guys are the bridge. What's substantial to me about Huchifino and Johnson. And, you know, you you mentioned the Xavier game. Um, That was a much better game for Xavier Johnson. than It was for Jalen Huchifino. And yet even in that game, Huchifino's got five rebounds and four assists. I can point out to you games that obviously Indiana won comfortably this season, but where Xavier Johnson maybe hasn't scored a lot. He only had 11 points across Indiana's first uh, two games. He only made three shots from the floor, but in those, in those, uh, in those two games, he had five rebounds, nine assists, and just four turnovers. The, you know, last night the points were there, and it was really important. Jalen Huchifino got him going. Xavier Johnson finished um, with the with with some really good free throws, or, or I guess not really good free throws, but was really good at the free throw line when North Carolina was trying to foul somebody to extend the game. Um, but what hasn't wavered is the other stuff, the way they defend, the way they distribute, the fact that they're hitting the glass, which is always important for guards and point guards in particular, because if your point guard rebounds the ball, the break starts faster. And it, it, you don't you don't need you, you don't need a pass to find the point guard. And then suddenly you see Indiana skipping the ball ahead for transition opportunities like they had a, a few of them last night. And those two guys are kind of the poster children for this. But it, it does feel we hear Mike Woodson talk so much about roles and the importance of embracing roles. Those two guys are maybe the best example of it feels like everybody on this team is okay not scoring. Race Thompson's maybe another good example. Scoring average is down, but you suddenly see him taking on tougher defensive covers. And and you see him, you know, grinding out tougher defensive possessions. And I think he's been at least, you know, to to the naked eye, he has been a, a better uh, a better rim protector this season. I mean, if you look at his block percentage, he's a substantially better rim protector this season than he was a year ago. Um, it just feels like this whole team has embraced kind of the idea that, you know, we know that Trace will always be there. X will always be there. Somebody from the bench, like you said, night at, night on night, somebody will give them a boost from the bench. But more than anything else, they don't need to tie their identity to their offense individually or collectively. And even on a night when a Jalen Huchifino maybe goes 0 for 8, you're still going to get the other statistical impacts. And so then on a night when he and Xavier Johnson combined for all those points, you're also still getting what was it, 14 rebounds and six assists. It's just representative of a team that while I think we both agree, we have not necessarily seen Indiana's best, smoothest, most sort of, you know, clicked into place basketball. There is a substantial just sort of everybody embracing the small things and adding them up, and it's winning them games. 
I think the Race Thompson point is a good one because I think it's a good indication that Indiana is a better team given if Race Thompson doesn't have to score as much. I think Race Thompson not having to score as much means that Indiana has developed more as a unit and there's not as much uh, weight on his shoulders to score. And I think to your point that I said this earlier in the season, I, I feel like it, it sort of kind of kept this form is that I feel like this is a, a good, a really good team um, with a really good player on it, not a really good team carried by a really good player in Chase Jackson Davis. I feel like Indiana can win in different ways. And I think that's potentially what can make them really dangerous is that they can win with their bench. They can win inside. They can win uh, hitting three pointers. They can win with their defense. I, I just feel like there's not one aspect of the game. There's not one player that you can take away that's necessarily going to uh, tie Indiana's hands together. I feel like they're sort of like a chameleon in the fact that they can they can adapt to different situations. You know, if if they're not hitting threes, then we saw like last night they just pounded inside, and in North Carolina, really didn't have an answer for them. Um, th this point's a little more nuanced, but it was one I was kind of thinking about after the game. Is that um, I, you know Miller Cop seemed like he was kind of taking some criticism last night. Didn't have a great game. Um, but the dude is shooting 52% from three on the season, whether or not you like it, that he's standing in the corner, he's, he's going to be there for, for, for floor spacing. And I think that's not a bad thing at all. That's something that Indiana needs. And now that this season, you don't have two guys in Parker Stewart and Miller cop that are going to just be stationary on the perimeter, having one guy do it is not I don't think is a problem and, you know Miller cops not going to have every single game where he's going to you know hit three threes or or whatever and, and maybe even take a a whole bunch of threes and he didn't force him and I know this is kind of nuanced but I just I feel like he kind of takes a lot of unwarranted criticism and you know I can see to a certain extent why but I feel like he's a guy that you need to have on the floor, and maybe that varies on a night to night. You know, I don't think he played as much uh, last night, but he's a guy that I think just kind of continues to do good things for Indiana. He he made a few plays last night, even though he wasn't, um, you know, he didn't even really take a high volume of shots. He made a couple of plays in the uh, second half that were beneficial to Indiana. Um, I know this is kind of on a tangent, but I just I feel like everything we've seen out of him this season is kind of what we had hoped to see. And if he can continue to, to get good looks, continue, I think even to shoot at a higher volume, um, that would benefit Indiana. I think it, it goes back to something more fundamental that I think you've talked about. And I've talked about, I think you've written about, we've talked about on and off the podcast, you know, Indiana has obviously evolved this season offensively they're still playing through the post but it's not nearly so turgid as it was a year ago where you'd sort of have to throw it down in and then you know slow everything down around it and everything needed to kind of go in and go out and you know all that kind of stuff um 
And so the offense would slow down and, and become predictable. We've talked about how having other post players helps, how Trace Jackson Davis being a better passer, a better you know handler of the double team helps, how much having more guys that can attack downhill. You know, when you talk about like a 50 to, I think it was 50 to 24 was the final paint points advantage last night. That's not just Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, Malik Renew. That's also the way that guards are getting to the rim. Xavier Johnson, Jalen Huchifino getting to the rim, whether it's in transition where suddenly Indiana's still now seven games into the season, 33rd in the country and average possession length. They are playing tremendously faster than they were a year ago. Um, but also guys that can, you know, in, in transition, get to the rim and, and force things like that. Tamar Bates is another good example. Trey Galloway is another good example. Uh, I, in watching the highlights when I got home last night, it was, it was, I noted how much Jay Billis was raving about all the different actions Indiana was using, whether it was cross, cross screens, baseline cuts, high ball screens to get action at the rim and to create mismatches at and around the rim. Um, it goes back, though, I think, to the, the more fundamental point, which is Indiana is right now, and it's December 1st, we'll see what happens once they get into the media conference play, you know, teams that know their personnel better, know their system better, get to scout them longer. Indiana is, though, um, at this moment in time anyway, very hard to pigeonhole offensively. And so you don't wind up in a situation where Miller Cop feels like he's got to force threes, or you don't wind up in a situation where – you know, it, it is basically just sort of like all Trace Jackson Davis or nothing. Or if Xavier Johnson's having a bad game, like we saw a, a couple times and, and not not even to like pick on him or anything, but even as good as Indiana was at times last season, you know, a, 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 you know, if I, I think about like a, a Rutgers at home. He was he had 13 points and four turnovers. He was five of 11 from the field. When he wasn't playing great, Indiana struggled because that even as the offense improved, it relied so heavily on Johnson and Jackson Davis. Well, suddenly you can do a lot of that stuff, but with more guys on the floor. Now, there still may come a night where Indiana's got to hit more threes than it can. Um, and, and right now they're shooting 36.7% as a team. Um, you know, that's that's a very good that's a, I want to say very good. It's, it's in the sixties nationally. So it's a, it's a perfectly solid kind of number in terms of percentage. If you look at the total number of three pointers attempted per game, though, that is still a very low number. Um, Indiana is, and I'm, I'm trying to find this right now while we're talking, Indiana is 332nd in the country, averaging 17.1 three-point attempts per game. They're not shooting a lot of them. If Mike if Mike Woodson was sitting here, he might say, well, we don't need to shoot a lot of them because look how easily we get to the rim. And that's what I wrote about last night, that like Indiana's Indiana's offense's ability to just relentlessly attack the rim is, is making the three-point shot a little bit of an afterthought for them. But it may come back to bite them at some point. Every team has flaws. Only one team wins a national title. At some point, everybody gets bitten by their flaws. Um but for the moment, what's what's happening is you can't pigeonhole Indiana, so Indiana's not forcing anything. They're not forcing Trace Jackson Davis to take 25 shots in a game. He has not attempted more than 16 shots in a single game this season, and he's not had a single game this season where he's attempted more shots than he scored points His in terms of field goals. His, his closest field goals to points ratio this season, field goal attempts, 
was the opener against Moorhead State when he had 15 points on 11 attempts from the floor. Um, Miller Cop's not forcing from the corner. Xavier Johnson's not, you know, you mentioned him earlier being really calm and, and kind of controlling that game down the stretch. He's not forcing things that it felt like maybe he would have a year ago. And that's not to say this team doesn't take any bad shots or have any bad stretches offensively. But it does feel like because they are a lot harder to pigeonhole at that end of the floor, they don't have to force as much. And so suddenly they're letting more come to them. And this is the stuff that feeds on itself, especially when you are a team that's finishing 62.3% of your twos, that's only getting blocked on 6.3% of your shots, which is very good, and is turning the ball over at on only 15.2% of possessions, which is a top 30 number nationally. You're going to be efficient. You're going to be effective. And when you can attack from so many different angles, you can get, you know, 10, 12 points a night from so many different guys. Even if you're not going to shoot a huge volume of threes, it's going to work for you a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and we'll learn more about this. You know, I'm really interested with the um, the the Kansas and Arizona games coming up. Um, Arizona is a week from Saturday, and then the Kansas game is a week after that. Um, but I'm also interested to see, you know, especially in those two games and then and then even the Rutgers game on the road coming up is that how is Indiana going to respond when things go wrong? Because we we haven't seen that a lot so far this season, which is a good thing because for Indiana, because they haven't really been tested a whole lot. I think the biggest way that they have been is at, at Xavier when they were down. And, and I thought they made a very good response. You know, in the second half, they came out really strong. Um, they never really seemed to be too flustered. I mean, down the stretch, Malik Renew misses the free throws, but that's also a freshman in a hostile environment, still um, trying to figure things out. You know, I think for the most part, Indiana was composed. They they responded well when that adversity hits. But, you know, I'm really interested to see how Indiana uh, responds when stuff goes bad, you know, stuff goes really wrong. And, and I feel like, you know, there's the poten- potential to see that against Arizona and against Kansas. How are they going to respond uh, when things go wrong? Are they going to stay together? Um, and, and kind of as we continue on with the season is that can Indiana sustain a level of consistency? Because I feel like the last few seasons we just we haven't seen that to where they're able to get in a groove um once big 10 play starts win games consistently avoid letdowns i mean if you look at archie miller's last season they they win on the road at iowa it maybe feels like a turning point they come back and they lose on the home against rutgers um you look at last season indiana beats purdue at home uh then they come back home against Michigan and, and, and drop a dud. So I'm interested to see against Rutgers on Saturdays that Indiana's coming off a big win. Um, they're going into what will probably be a hostile environment at Rutgers. Um, can they avoid a letdown? Can, can they do what they're supposed to do and, and win that game? And, um, I, you know, I think that just continues to go on that theme of consistency is that can we see Indiana string the the wins together and maybe ride out the peaks and valleys a little bit better than they have the last few seasons. We've seen at times things snowball, you know, toward the end of last season where uh, the the end of the regular season, I should say, when you know they lose to Rutgers at home, 
they lose to uh, Purdue on the road, both games that they very much had a chance to win, is that, you know, can Indiana, do they have enough firepower now to, to not let those kind of slip-ups happen and, and, and look more like a team that you expect to be on the 2C line when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I think so far we've seen trends that give good indications that, that te- this team could be on a trajectory to that. And I, I think we need to see a lot more, not saying that they're going to be a 2C, but, um, you know, I, Mike Woodson is kind of one of the phrases, he has a lot of phrases he likes to say, and I, I think we enjoy them as, as media members. But uh, one of them, you know, recently is only time will tell. And I, I feel like that is really true. We're continuing to gain information about Indiana, but I think at this point last season, regard, you know, maybe taking out the Syracuse loss, we felt good about this Indiana team and things kind of went wayward um, toward the end of the regular season. And obviously things turned around in the big 10 tournament, but um, it's just hard to make like these, you know, kind of full blown conclusions when there's just, there's just so much basketball left to play. And I know you've talked about that too, but um, it'll just, I think the next few weekends will be really telling. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how adamant Trace Jackson Davis was about turning the page to Rutgers um, and and even suggesting that like before the UNC game, he was talking to his teammates about Rutgers and, uh, you know, Indiana fans minds are going to be on Arizona and Kansas. Uh, Those are kind of, if you look at, if you subscribe to the Ken Palm numbers, those are coin flip games. Indiana's a one point favorite with a 52% chance of victory against Arizona, a one point underdog with a 47% chance of victory against Kansas. I think there's, you know, not that Indiana's punting those games by any means, but they've certainly at least sort of fulfilled the, the minimum requirement for their ambitions from this non-conference season. They beat Xavier, they beat North Carolina, uh, they beat North Carolina handily. Um, you know, as long as they don't slip up against Elon or Kennesaw State, which you, you find it pretty hard. I, I think it's, I'm amused that their their win percentage chance against Elon is 99.8%. I would love to know what the 0.2% sort of factors in, um, you know, possibly just like Cook Hall being swallowed up by the earth pregame. But um, it sort of feels like in a sense, and I said this to somebody talking about Indiana earlier today, it's not like Arizona and Kansas don't matter, but it's it's almost like Indiana's proven itself in the non-conference. They've won enough in the non-conference, especially if they don't lose one of those two games around Christmas, to sort of say, you know what we are. You know what we can do on a neutral floor, or you know what we can do, um, you know, in a in a in a NCAA tournament type setting. But now the next thing to your point about consistency is can you do it in Big Ten play? Can you do it with teams that get to scout you, get to play you twice? that teams that know your personnel because they've played them for two or three years, teams that can recall some of your system from a year ago, you know, road venues that you're familiar with. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis, I think basically, I think you pointed out, like I've never won at the rack ever. Um, And can you do that consistently for a program that has not finished above 500 in big 10 play since 2016? They're the only big 10 program that has, that does not have a single winning season in conference play since 2016. It's almost like in a way to me, like Rutgers, Nebraska, Iowa, Northwestern, Penn State, 
those first five Big Ten games are, are almost sort of more important than Arizona and Kansas because that's the next proving ground for this team. That's the next place where if you are what you think you are, if you are what you say you are, or at least say what you say you 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 think you can be, then I don't know if you necessarily need to go five and zero, oh, but you need to prove that it's not just once every couple weeks at Xavier, once every couple weeks against North Carolina or in a you know, in a house money kind of situation on a neutral floor against Arizona. It's night after night after night in environments you know are going to be tough against teams that you know are going to be ready. Rutgers is, you know, uh, not the, the most inspiring opponent in the world, but they're, they're Ken Palm top 40. Uh, they're 12th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency right now. Their only losses are on a neutral floor to Temple, which is also Ken Palm top 100. And uh, away last night to Miami by just seven. They're five and two. Um, in a sense, like, you know, how eager Indiana was to turn the page to Rutgers last night kind of makes sense to me because if you're Indiana, you've, you know, there is an extent anyway to which everything left in this non-conference season is kind of gravy. And your next big sort of task is prove that you can win in conference play. Prove that you can get off to a good start, that you can eat up the the 50-50 games that turn a a 10 and 10 team into a 14 and 6 or a 15 and 5 team. And that's how you win the league. And that's how you give yourself a top three seed. That's how you put yourself in a good position for the tournament. And I think if if Indiana's bench is what it seems like it could be, that's where it could really pay dividends. When you look at just the grind of the Big Ten schedule. Being able to go nine deep, you know, CJ Gunn didn't play last night, but if he is thrown in there to get minutes, if someone is hurt, being able to have that extended bench, which I mean, it just could be invaluable um, when you're talking about being able to save legs. We, we've seen it times against, I think, lesser opponents this season where Indiana is basically able to limit the amount of minutes that Trace Jackson Davis and race Thompson play because of the lead that they've built and because of the guys that they have behind them. I think this just goes back to being able to have a guy like Malik Renu, who Indiana did not really have that third reliable big man the last two seasons, two seasons ago, uh, Joey Brunk got hurt. They didn't, you know, they, they, they struggled in terms of, of, of the depth behind Trace Jackson Davis and race Thompson last season, Michael Durr, wasn't that reliable kind of figure that you would hope, but Malik Renew, um, just the maturity he has as a freshman, being able to uh, maybe give a little bit more rest to Race Thompson, Trey Jackson Davis. Um, you know, if you look at Trey Galloway, can he stay healthy? That's my biggest question going forward. We've known the impact, we've seen the spark he can add. Um, can he stay healthy? But I think if when you look at a level of consistency, if Indiana's depth is what it seems like it could be, that that could be um, a huge asset. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, Indiana at Rutgers over the weekend. Obviously, these next two weeks are going to tell us a lot more. And listen, this is I, I've said this many times in, in seasons where Indiana has shown promise, whether they've realized it or not, in seasons where Indiana has obviously had really good years. When you're a good team, it's it's the old Greg LeMond quote about cycling I'm fond of. It doesn't get easier. You just go faster. You know, the, the, if, if beating North Carolina doesn't mean Indiana suddenly gets to coast, it means expectation just goes up that little bit higher and Indiana's got to try and embrace it. 
But if Indiana can go, let's say, even four and two over these next six games, head into the new year, uh, 11 and two, they'll be in really good position, especially if two of those wins are in conference play. We're going to learn a lot about them in the next two weeks. Rutgers away, Nebraska at home, Arizona and Vegas, Kansas away. We'll be back uh, next week sometime either pre-Nebraska to talk about Rutgers or post-Nebraska to wrap up the week and get ready for Arizona between now and then for the Indianapolis Star, for the Bloomington Herald Times, for Tyler Tackman. I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.